Good morning and welcome to Flat Out Recovery. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm sorry, where was it you say you went last night, Ronnie? A beautiful little kebab shop. Well, it was a restaurant. So, yeah, a kebab know. shop restaurant? Yeah. And waiters were bringing you Don and Meat and chips? Yeah. What sounds good? No, With a bit wait- of salad? The waiters brought me Don and Meat. I upgraded to a Chilean garlic naan, because you get a normal naan. But is it the donner meat like that's like donkey meat and it's got like, <laughs> <laughs> it's literally like on a like stand that swells around? That thing that we have meat? traditionally of oh it's one o'clock in the morning I'm off my face I need a kebab donkey meat and then you see the remains of it in the morning and think oh my god yeah now this sounds like how kebabs are meant to be done like proper on a skewer no it was like it looks like you've been sliced off one of those machines oh. you couldn't see the machine but it was beautiful it was so nice but it wasn't grey. It was like a, no, a donkey. It was, it was a nag, <laughs> a, a naga kebabish. Mm. It was beautiful. It's just very hot though, isn't it? Because I'm looking after my waistline. Mm. <laughs> By going out to restaurants. Yeah. yeah, 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 and all that business. So and eating late at night. I've realised. Like, <laughs> yeah, I can live off shakes, like you, and protein shakes, and maybe a bowl of cereals. And that's not healthy. Pardon? It's not healthy. Why was that? Because it's got no fruit and vegetables in it and no nutrients, no fibre. Just fruits. Just protein. No, but in my smoothie I have... And cereal's um, full of sugar. It's sugar-free. <laughs> sugar-free I have, cereal. I also have <laughs> fruit in my smoothie. I also have spinach, sprouts and broccoli in okay, my first smoothie. That's nice. Chai seeds and all the rest of it, almond, grated, whatever. Oh, so you add to it? Yeah, I add to it. And then... I have a bowl of cereal if I get peckish me afternoon. Kebab and chips on the evening. And then, uh, <laughs> and then wreck it all by going to a kebab restaurant. Late at night. Fibres in, fibers in the chips. Huel drink. There's fibre in there. That's everything in it. All your nutrients. Does it keep you regular? This morning, I nearly did not come to podcast. <laughs> I got up, felt rough, and I thought, okay, this will pass. So it's a donkey meat. What is it with donkeys? What's it wrong could, with donkeys? The poor donkeys are out sat there going, hang on, <laughs> We get the wrong idea about kebabs in this country because they're associated with being shit-faced and going into this slightly seedy, tiny little takeaway with a counter and just this great big metal stick with this skewer of grey matter on it that may or may not be meat, which we then cover in chilli sauce and the salad goes all over the floor, and come the morning, it actually looks radioactive. Yeah. Whereas kebabs are not that at all. No. If you go and have them in the place of origin, they're yeah. actually a delicacy. Yeah. They're really, really nice. And this place was nice. Yeah. But my stomach was playing habit this morning. Does that explain the picture you chose to post on the WhatsApp group? <laughs> I don't know what was more worrying. The fact that... I'd sent it to all my friends. That it was someone's bollocks, or that uh-huh. the, the person had gone to so much trouble to arrange themselves <laughs> to make their testicles look like a love heart. And that's what actually. <laughs> is this made... what people do to What's make me? I know what I'll do. I'll cross my legs slightly and I'll make my testicles look like a love heart. That'll make a Valentine's Day. <laughs> well, this is like. Oh, yeah, happy Valentine's, people. Yeah, happy Valentine's. Um, <laughs> And all the rest of it. Yes, it is Valentine's, although this will go out two weeks later. It's a typical man's thing, isn't it? You know, mm. he wants to get his hand away, and he's like, oh, I know, I'll show a picture of my balls in the shape of a heart. And he thinks that's <laughs> going to win. That's just that's as far as they get. It's something. just a very strange version of romantic, isn't it? <laughs> it's a man's version of romantic. Yeah, yeah, that's it. it's a man's version of romantic. <laughs>
This is what you want, isn't it? That's love right there. (laughs) Anyway, what else have we had this week, apart from you going to a kebab shop? Is it more or is it on me? It's on you this morning, yeah. That's going to be first run if you want. Oh, I don't know what's been going on. I really don't. (laughs) I say this every week and I don't know what the hell goes on. I know I do meetings and I know I do all the stuff I need to do. Isn't that enough? That's more than because enough. I'm doing more than enough at the minute. You say, Ronnie, I've got nothing to say, but you always have something. I've doing. You've always more. got something to say. I've always got something to say. And you look really well. Do I? Yeah. I haven't even shaved this You morning. look well. I just look healthy. Myself out of it. That's because of all my healthy eating <laughs> and stuff. Uh, and water. I'm drinking plenty of water. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing to go through a week and say, oh, well, I do this and I do that, but I'm not really quite sure what I've done. Because it means you're basically doing the groundwork do you know and what not is? noticing it. It's a, I always blame a lot of stuff on OCD, but everything's done like a machine. You switch a machine on, it just runs, and I feel like a machine. It just happens. I don't yeah. even need to be concentrating, it just happens. <laughs> do you know like what I mean? The routine structure. It is the routine thing, isn't it? And it's the fact that it's ingrained in you now after a period of time that this is what I do anyway and special things like the excursion to the kebab restaurant are on top of that. Where was my invite by the way? Do you know what? Ah, just a malarkey because I wasn't even... <laughs> the donkey told him not to invite me. <laughs> do you know where I've got that from? My dad's at a hotel in Blackpool when I was a kid. Grew up there and my friend from over the road from another hotel used to tell me that that restaurant over there got done for donkey meat in the kebab. So I just would never eat it again. I was just like, no, I cannot eat it. And it's, I was stuck in my head. So I was going to One day you're going to be walking home in the dark <laughs> and you're going to look down an alley. There's going to be three sets of eyes and there's going to be three donkeys. <laughs> they're going to be, and they're going to keep the life out of you. I love donkeys. Saying, what is wrong with us? You can eat me. I guess there's no difference to eating a donkey, to eating a horse, to eating a pig, to eating a sheep, to eating a cow. It's the same, it's all animals, it's just a different breed. It's like China, they eat dogs and everybody has an issue with it, but it's the same as eating a pig, the same as eating a cow. Oh, it's, it's just what we've it's decided. It's just what we've decided. Of what's to good judge. and what's not good. And yeah. What we deem as culturally acceptable. Yeah. And there's also a good bit of old fashioned English snobbery there as yeah. well. We'll eat this, but not that. That's what the underlings eat. Yeah. That's what the poor colonials eat. We eat this because we've got the best stuff. And, if, and we have this determinism and then you've got certain religious beliefs that mean you don't eat this or don't eat that you've got people who are genuinely vegetarian people who are fake vegetarian people who are vegan people who are fruitarians there's all sorts of variations around it on them oh, i'm more concerned about the revenge of the donkeys <laughs> if, if they know that for years for years for decades they're kind of been hunted down stripped to the carcass and then stuck on a big metal stick in a kebab shop somewhere in, I don't know, Runcorn or <laughs> Bolton or wherever, and that this is proliferated all over the country. One of these days, the donkeys, they're going to get together and they will Even revolt, they will come at us. In Mexico, they hit them with a bat to get all the sweets out of them. Sweet. Poor donkeys, piñatas. You hit yeah. the pin the tail on the donkey, that's a game. What I mean, poor donkey? Would you really want to be kicked by four donkeys at once? No, have you seen one of those things? From all sides. <laughs> Let me know how that goes. And I don't mean the cute little donkeys on the beach, that they won't let you ride if you're over four foot nine. These vengeful donkeys, they're plotting right now. They're in caves <laughs> around the country. I don't, I don't plotting their revenge. I would love it. I would love it. 
Well, Henry comes in with four hoofs. <laughs> I'd love some donkeys if I had like land. I'd definitely have some. You can get those little miniature ones as well. They're super cute. Saw some yesterday. What you mean, like the one in Shrek? Yeah, little miniature. Are they like that then? Do they talk? No. What's the one in Shrek called? Donkey. Donkey. It's called donkey, donkey isn't donkey. it? It's brilliant. We've had animals. We had goat once. I was driving around the countryside yesterday, and I was just like, wow, just stunning. And just to have that lands and all over Shropshire, I was. Just to have some land and to have donkeys and your own chickens and stuff, that'd be the dream for me. Really? Yeah, I'd love that. Peaceful life. Do you notice any of that when you're off your nut? Anything yeah. like going out to the country? I didn't really try and get out that much to the country, but I remember finding a cat. I always used to bring animals back. But not like, it sounds like I've done it every five minutes, but like I've, <laughs> I've been known to bring animals back when I've been on a session. And I've been sent out to buy a substance and I've come back with a dog. And right. it was this. And, and I wish you'd have come to one of my Was parties. the dog alive? <laughs> alive, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're not collecting roadkill like serial killers? No. <laughs> you're not actually Jeffrey Dahmer, are you? <laughs> I bought two dogs, three cats. Where did you get them from? Did they the not have owners? on the street. What? Just randomly. No, he's a dog napper. But one morning. I've got this dog and I took it in and I fed it pizza and I put it in my bed. <laughs> you gave a dog pizza? I was, oh, why not? At least you didn't give it chocolate. I can't remember what it was. I know it was pizza and I know something else had done really nice for him as well. I woke up in the morning <laughs> and I looked. <laughs> what the fuck have I done? I mean, what I was, kind of dogs were they? Any specific breed? Probably would have been a Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Like small ones. Something like that. I don't know. He had four legs and a nose. That's all I remember. <laughs> but the owner was screaming up and down the street yesterday. And my husband was pie-eyed last night and he's happened to let the dog out. Oh, let's give him back. Blue, his name was. Did you take yeah. him back and pretend that you found it? No. My, or did you admit that My housemate at the time was letting the dog out the front to have a wee the fence and this woman was screaming up and down the streets and seeing the dog and was like that's my dog but what was really concerning was my friend said the dog looked like it was scared of its own and wanted to run back into our house, oh, my house. maybe that's why it ran away and i rescued a jack russell somebody was online and they were saying that they needed 40 pounds and i was like oh it's pretty cool man little jack russell so I went down to Covington, picked him up, and they was off their head. So obviously really? I wanted a, a rap or something. And he was lovely. Spike, he was Did named. you keep him? I tried. He ran. He just went away. Kept him for a few months. I changed his name to Peanut. Better than Spike. And I lost him. And I was running around the street. Peanut! And, and went, Peanut! Peanut! <laughs> Peanut! So he'd never come back. But what were we on this conversation anyway? <laughs> I was asking if you actually notice things like the countryside or any of that because obviously we always end up in one room don't we yeah in general and we don't necessarily notice what's going on outside of us or going on around but I'm intrigued by your cat napping and dog napping and claiming that this is some sort of public service you know, <laughs> calling rescuing. it rescuing is a bit of a stretch Ronnie oh there's a dog I'll take it oh there's a cat <laughs> More come, on. come on Tiddles <laughs> Listen, they're going out for people like me because I don't even... Oh, we need someone like that on every street. On every street, in every and every town, we need someone that will take in dogs whenever they look confused or they need directions. Probably so, because my phone keeps going off and I don't even know how it works, but my doorbell is a ring doorbell and now it's telling me... Oh, so you get the video camera. Saying, we've locked... 
Dog lost, brown, dog found, roaming streets. Hold on, sorry. A video camera doorbell does all of that. Yeah, I didn't. No, that's the equivalent. Really? The Batman sign. When they put the thing up in the sky and it's got, we, we need Batman. Yeah. The reason why you're getting the dog notifications is because they need you to go and kidnap the dog. So they're sending you messages. That's what's going on. Well, I mean, that's what's going because on. They've decided, to the messages. This is the guy who picks up dogs and cats <laughs> and then confuses them by changing their Imagine name. if you were psychos, you keeping them I know. <laughs> I would have tripped balls at that message. <laughs> it's in, it's on the phone. And I'm, like, I'm looking at it. And somebody put on there, we've seen a brown dog roaming the streets. He's very young. And then this morning, someone said, yes, I've lost my dog. Before. It's brown. I'm like, are you like, not reading these things? It's not just been me. This is just uh, a neighbourhood thing. I choose now about us to not turn a blind eye, but I, can't, I don't watch the news too much anymore. And when I was in active addiction, I was always on the news and I read the Daily Mail front to back every single day, and including the Australian and the American. I wonder what's worse for you six litres of white frightening a day or reading the Daily Mail? It's a toss-up, really, which one's quite, worse for quite you. Quite frightening. Because while the chemicals would be physically damaging, I don't think they're as mentally damaging as the Daily Mail is. It really mm. corrupted my head. Honestly, it corrupted. That I became so opinionated and really angry. I was on the chat things you put on the bottom. How dare you? Oh, yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Rip down Nelson's column. Mm. <laughs> like Where did this come from? It whips up this feigned outrage in you. It's also the very thing that if you are cautious in your recovery that you are not likely to fall into. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that we try and acknowledge. When we're talking about the anger thing, talking about seeing it happening and not actually acting on it. Yeah. But that kind of inflammatory publication that's deliberately designed to whip you up into a frenzy, I don't think you're anywhere near as susceptible when you're in recovery. No. Well, you're not susceptible if you don't watch it. I don't watch it, I don't read it, I don't watch anything. Like and also, that. you're trying to avoid engaging with things that are deliberately meant to set you mm. off. And a lot of the media, a lot of Twitter, a lot of the papers are deliberately designed to create these great diametric oppositions, mm. like you hate this or you love this, and you're not allowed a considered opinion if you fall into reading it all day, every day. Whereas if you don't engage with it, you've got far more chance of formulating a reasonable opinion. I just remember being very angry and I was, my opinions was obnoxious. I mean, I was believing some of this stuff they were saying and then I've built up these... But do you think it could still happen to someone in recovery? Yeah, it could do. It depends if they've got too much time on their hands and they can, they've got literally nothing to do and they're reading the papers and, and they've probably still got anger or they haven't let go of resentments or they haven't done any work on themselves and stuff. Just because you're in recovery doesn't mean that you're recovering, does it? doesn't mean you're in recovery. Mm. Yeah. Start you just existed, and some people, I believe, they're here just to tick the box of, well, they need a roof. There is a community, isn't there, that you could be part of and that actually really want to better yourself or anything. That, Bonnie, is the critical thing about those first 18 months, isn't it? Because mm. if you think about the tick list that people have, I'm skinned. I don't know whether I've still got a roof over my head. I've got to do something because of what everybody else is telling me. And maybe if I do this for X number of months, it'll get them off my back. It'll get me somewhere to live. I'll go through the motions. Okay, they say three meetings a week. I'll go three times, but I'll hang about during the break for 35 minutes at every meeting or I'll leave early, or I'll say I've been to meetings on my own when I haven't, or I'll get an invisible sponsor, or mm. I'll keep arranging volunteer work or a training course 
that keeps falling through and getting rearranged mm. without actually ever really arranging it so that whoever I'm talking to doesn't know what I'm doing or not doing, they can do it for 18 months, can't they? Of course they can. They can do it for a lot longer than that. And what happens after that? You know what? It's crazy. Isn't Invariably, it? they relapse. They relapse, and is there more of a choice there as well? Is it, you know, oh, God, oh, let's reset this clock again and let me get back through the system again because it's that thing, isn't it? Fake it to make it sometimes as well because mm. some people who in there and they're like, I know I wanted to get well. I didn't think I was going to improve myself. I just thought I just need to stop drinking. The next option was to move on to a next stage and sort of drag me to a meeting. And before I knew it, this stuff was working when I stuck at it. So even for some people that haven't got the idea that they want to do it, but they just do it anyway, stick the boxes. Some of those will just naturally fall into, shit, this stuff works. Maybe this is a good idea for me to continue it. Well, that's coming for the wrong reasons and staying for the <coughs> right reasons, yeah. isn't mm-hmm. it? Whereas, if we look at this model whereby people have got an agenda, which is I'm going to go through the motions and tick every box, and then I'm going to move on after 18 months or whatever, if you do that four times, then you pretty much accounted for 10 years where you're not having to be responsible for yourself at all. That's it, yeah. Because it's not just looking at this one finite period where you go to rehab, it's the treatment hopping. They go and do it in one place, they go and do it in another, then another, and then come back to the first place. And before you know it, you spent 10 years of supposedly being in recovery. Your body is recovering because you're having significant periods of time where you're not drinking or using but you're not really engaged with the recovery process. And yeah, there are those people, Ronnie, that come in, and that have clearly come in just because they've got no other choice. Mm. Their family's cut them off, they've got rent they can't pay, they've all of this stuff hanging over them. And then suddenly they're starting to think, shit, this might work. Yeah. But they're in the minority, I think. Mm. And I don't want to say that the majority of people who come to rehab come for the wrong reasons. No. Because it's still a big thing to be deciding they're trying yeah. it's very hard isn't it to, to even get there get into rehab all through them doors and stay yeah. that was hard for me that was really yeah, to do that and to stay for the first week mm-hmm. as we do it at changes to be coming in and then just thrown in into groups that's what happened to Beer right? I was having panic attacks every morning as soon as I woke up I was having a real full-blown panic attack and that was because my meds wasn't working because I was drinking mm. I was on all the meds for panic attacks and all that stuff but mm. they, didn't keep, they didn't work so without the booze in the same way as people use rehab in different ways do you think there's a total gamut across the board of different expectations of people when they go in yeah, yeah definitely definitely I think because it's quite a simple program and it can be done in a very simplistic way, people can overcomplicate it and think, my God, is that all you're going to teach me today? And it's such a simple thing that they're trying to get across to them, they don't realise that little simple thing is what could end up killing you. But you have to really want it, it's the same as if you didn't come through rehab and you were just working a 12 step program without rehab. You have to want to do it. And that expectation when people come in is that. Sometimes they're doing it for the family and not, not for themselves, for the wrong reasons. Or they've got this limited expectation, which is, okay, I'll just stop. I'm not really going to listen to what they're telling me. I'll just stop and I'll use this as a fresh start. Or they've got absurd expectations, mm. like, oh, well, I'm sure they'll get me a flat if I stay for six months. Or mm. they'll do this for me or they'll do that for me. The expectation that it's going to be done for you as opposed to you're going to do it yourself. Well, I had the expectation I could still use drugs. When I came into AA, I was like, 
Oh, well, I'm not drinking, so... Great. I'm smoking weed, I'm doing coke. You could feel that, couldn't you? Having ecstasy. Well, I did, and I didn't realise. I didn't know, so I was going, hi, my name's Amy, you know, I'm an alcoholic after two months of being sober. I put my hand up and started sharing. At three months, I relapsed on alcohol because... I was still using the whole time. Good. I bought a little pipe, a little clear pipe, so I could smoke weed in the clubs and stuff, so that I could just get away with it. And I was like, why? Why would you do that? That's not normal thinking. Because I was like, yeah, because I can't drink, so I'll just have a little puff and no one will smell it. Like, that was my delusion, that no yeah, one would yeah, even yeah, be able yeah. to smell it in the club. Ah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I'd get kicked out of the by the bouncers, probably at the first puff. I didn't know that when I went into rehab the first time, into the treatment centre, and they was telling me I was an alcoholic. I thought, well, you've got that wrong, haven't you? Because I'm not an alcoholic, because I've stopped drinking. So I just thought an alcoholic was someone who's drinking in the midst of it. If I'd stopped, then I'm not an alcoholic. And I agreed with them just to shut them up. Yeah, I'm an alcoholic. That's my the head. crux, though, yeah. wrong, isn't it? My head's telling me, no, they don't realise you've got this. Because we go in and sit in there, and they tell us it's incredibly simple and that there's only this to it. And we thought, well, is that it? I'm just going to cross the T's and dot the I's then and I'll just say yes sir, no sir, three bags full. But actually, there's that huge wall of denial and not realising what all of this means. Mm. And it is, it's about denial and it's about a lack of open-mindedness. And the thing I see so frequently when I go in there into the rehab setting is where the open-mindedness is missing, where the expectations are unrealistic, where the denial is just written all over their face, particularly in the sessions that I deliver because they're very open and it's drama therapy rather than an ordinary group. It's very evident when people are closed-minded doing something like that. I do accept that some people can't help that and it's rare that people come in and are genuinely open-minded and that's the nature of rehab. Yeah. Because they have to find that open-mindedness in the course of that, however many weeks it is. And I don't expect to see it at all, if I'm honest. When I go in there, I don't expect any of them to be fully open-minded and open to anything. Because why would they be, considering where they've been? Yeah. Yeah, you've been closed-minded all your life, you're not just suddenly going to walk into rehab and go, oh, right, I'm up for this, I'm up for that. Yeah. You do oh, get the odd one. I think it's an amazing thing to be able to do that. I didn't do rehab and I didn't do a dry house or anything. And I just think, oh, well, how would it have been for me if I'd have had those groups and a bit of therapy on the side, do you know what I mean? And a fun, like, community. I think that would have been really nice. But I think to do it through the 12 steps, I found it hard because I didn't understand any of the language and I didn't understand the concept. And actually, when I did my first step four, I was such a victim that I literally did a whole step four on everybody else. And what oh, the Hollywood step four? I did all of it. The yeah. full blown, oh, and I was so set upon. Yeah. And she yeah. did this to me, didn't and he look did that at, to me. Didn't look at any of my part at all. <laughs> didn't even understand that concept. I was like, what? Like, I'm the victim here. Like, yeah. What do you mean I'm not the victim? Yeah. How dare you? But I think that was quite nice because I went to two or three meetings a day in London when I first got sober and clean. If I hadn't have had that, that was my sense of like dry house groups just yeah, constantly yeah. going to meetings because I felt community. Yeah, yeah. That is a massive thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Community, connection, yeah. contacts and stuff like that. All which is what you get in those groups and dry houses, which is amazing. It gives you that extra support. Double-edged. It's double-edged, yeah. It's very double-edged because if you're doing it around the rooms, you've got to find it for yourself. Yeah. It's double-edged in a rehab scenario because on the one hand, it can be very positive, but if it goes the wrong way, it can be exactly the opposite because you get passengers. 
I'm sure we've all seen. Yeah. The passengers who come to meetings on the coattails of someone else. Yeah. Yeah. And who you never see coming on their own because they've gone through rehab with a group of people, they've stayed yeah. with them, and yeah, they all just yeah, go yeah, together. Yeah. <coughs> and that ties in, Ronnie, with what you were saying about ticking boxes. Yeah. And Obviously. of course, of that group of five, two of them will genuinely want to be there mm -hmm. and will carry on going. Mm. But there's another three that probably won't, given the option. See, I needed that. The rehab to me was good. And I think rehab is something that can help you into it. The position you're in now, you, you're good and you've done it. You, you've managed to do yeah. it without going through the rehab centre. And I think the rehab centre introduced me to all of that kind of stuff outside groups and meetings and stuff like that. But I honestly became... Feral, real feral in the last five years of my drinking and the people that I was mixing with I became those and those kind of people crackheads smackheads and all sorts and that was my way of living that was my survival technique when I come into treatment it was like oh you know mm. a bit like what's going on here lardy <laughs> I remember being pulled into the office <clears throat> to be told that I shouldn't be making the jokes that I'm making towards people because they're very sensitive and I'm like Sensitive. <laughs> sensitive. Still do need to just shake it up a little bit and yeah. have a laugh. Yeah. Yeah, but they all get sensitive in rehab, don't they? <laughs> but, but it was right. You're insensitive. Because <laughs> I would say something, it, was, it wouldn't be nice, but I was just used to being spoken to like that and also speaking to people like that yeah. when I was in the madness. Me too, and very direct. Even now, and abrupt. Mm. I can be very direct and abrupt. Mm. Oh, yeah. I have to watch what I'm saying. My sponsor will still say that as well. <laughs> you can say what you mean, but not say it in a mean way. I know, Amen. but sometimes <laughs> I say stuff to people. We were talking about this last night around the table, and I remember I said something to this one girl, and she went, oh, do you know? And it was her ex-partner. Thing is relapse. That's what thing is. For every lad you touch relapses, look. Oh! Did you want to put your words back in your mouth as soon as you said it or not? And it was the truth. Sometimes the truth hurts. Well, I know deep down she was probably thinking, well, actually, you know what? He's right. She only scans on her fingers and think about all the exes and realise. She might thank you in months to come. Or she might never speak to you again. She didn't speak to me. I've said a few things for her. That said, I think there is a time and a place for being brutally direct. Yeah. And there's a time and a place for being compassionate. Yeah. And it's something that perhaps we don't know how to do when we start off in recovery. Definitely not. We don't know when we're supposed to be compassionate. We don't know when we're supposed to be brutal. And we can get the two mixed up and end up saying the one thing to the wrong person. Mm. You can end up being compassionate to the one who's full of shit and then being brutal to the one who's actually vulnerable. And that's not through any yeah. intention. And actually, you can say the wrong thing while intending to say the right one, if you see what I mean. Mm. Even though you're going through this process thinking, oh, I think this is the right tone to take here, and not know that you've got it completely arse over tape. Yeah. Because we don't necessarily know how to read people when we come out of rehab or come out of detox or come out of that initial couple of months when we're trying to find our feet. Mm. I try to pause more before I speak these days so that I'm not being abrasive to others. I think sponsorship and sponsoring other people has taught me those kind of things, the principles. Yeah. I'm completely different to what I used to be, my gosh. Amazing. <laughs> I think if we do react and feel like we've reacted in the wrong way, it doesn't hurt us at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, it hurts us as well as them, possibly as well, yeah. It's a nice learning curve. I told one lad, you've done that to me again, I'll floor him. 
this is like, I'm not a fighter. <laughs> I don't fight or anything. And he tapped me on the back like this. But it was quite hard. I just snapped. And this was very early in recovery. And he said, if you do that to me one more time, I will floor you. <laughs> and he accused me of being... Aggressive. A violent partner. <laughs> and he was like, how you was with your exes then? Why they left you? He was a bit of a... Yeah. Is that why they left you? That learning curve in thinking again about that first 18 months and the way that people tick boxes and stuff. It's about the engagement, isn't it? Because if you remain engaged with that learning curve, then things change over time mm. and they continue to change over time because it is continuous. But if you are never engaging with that curve in the first place and you're staying smack in the place that you are stubbornly deciding to put yourself, you're never going to move, are you? So actually you spent 18 months just not drinking and using in spite of the best efforts of everyone around you. And this is where rehabs can never fully get it right. Because with some people, you're just not going to make that happen. To me, I mean, possibly, I mean, you're very lucky to get the programme, understand the programme, and yeah. practice the programme, and get the results from what the programme promises yeah. you and stuff like that. When they said to me in treatment that only 10% or something, I thought when I was sitting in that chair, for whatever reason, I thought, no, you're all screwed then, because that's going to be me. So I truly believed it. But then I didn't realise, as I was going through, everything has to work in the right way, doesn't it? Not just the treatment centre, but the people that you meet, the choices that you make. You are defined by the company you keep. Yeah. You are yeah. defined by the choices you make. You know, one wrong look from somebody in a meeting and you fall in love. And then before, you know, you're running up into the yeah. house and it's like... Down the yellow brick road, into the sunset, getting married in Vegas or whatever yeah. it is. Or Gretna Green, depending on your budget. You have to listen. The next thing you know is you're on your ass again and they're dead. Yeah, that came up yesterday, that did. The best thing you can do is just listen, isn't it? And listen to the old timers. But the problem is, so my problem was that when I put the drink and the drugs down, my next thing was sex and relationships and I was constantly on the prowl in recovery. I was one of those creepy... It's not a good place to be. No, I was constantly creeping on people. Predator. When I was, I was quite predatory in a way, yeah. Not in the sense of, oh, like, you know, I want to, you know... It wasn't really, like, I wasn't acting on it, but I was a, a proper perv, constantly perving on all the boys and girls in recovery. And I think a lot of the times, some of the times that I went to those extra meetings were just to see those people, <laughs> which is That's another thing about box ticking, isn't it? Yeah. People treat it as a social occasion yeah, for well, whatever I was reason. Yeah, And yeah. they go because they think so-and-so will be there. Yeah. Or might yeah. be there. Yeah. And they're not there at the meeting at all to be at the meeting. They're I, there to be outside it. Yeah, but I don't think I'm the only one. I think that no, no. every single human being that comes into recovery has this scenario. Because most people have addictions. And once you put those two down, there's the other one. And you're like, oh. And that's why so many people get into relationships. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've, I've been very lucky in, in the sense that I've been to a couple of meetings where I know certain people are going but. I know the danger and I know it's wrong and if you know it's wrong you can do something about it can't yeah. you if you but you still have to it. make a choice yeah don't get me wrong I wasn't acting on it so for the first year I didn't act on it I was yeah, just I'm perving. just picturing you spraying <laughs> on some innocent <laughs> I wasn't acting on it come into my parlour <laughs> into my lair like a spider <laughs> but when I got to that year exactly on the dot of the day I went come here Ash let's go <laughs> And there I was in a relationship for three months. 
<laughs> Straight on a year, my sponsor said he was like, okay. We had the conversation oh, yesterday and it was somebody who's coming up to their one year very soon and somebody else that was in the group with us yesterday was said, oh, your one year is up there. <laughs> what are you going to do? Where are you going to see? you going to see? You know, you're past the stage now. And I said, you can't really, you just when you're comfortable, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know anything. But then some people get into relationships early on, they're fine. I just think if you don't have a healthy relationship, like status like I do, like, and you don't have healthy relationships with people, then it's complicated. But some people do when they get and into relationships. Some people find well. a balance relatively quickly. Yeah. Most people know. don't, but some people do. When I wake up in the morning, if I imagine that I've got somebody lying next to me in the morning, would I be happy that they're there or would I be pissed off that they're there? It's about how I'm going to wake up. This morning, it would have been. Just tell me when. Would you need them Open to them be in a, look, in a separate house? Like a separate house perfect, yeah. yeah, I've been so used to sleeping on my own. I haven't had a relationship, like proper one, for like eight years. And I've been so used to sleeping on my own that to share a bed with somebody, I just, I think they'd just irritate me. I think they're better off like sharing separate houses, yeah. And also, then you have to think of the other person. Schools, yeah. And it's like, oh God. What are you breathing? Are you breathing that loud again? <laughs> Stop eating so loud! You're snoring. Imagine. <laughs> I'm trying to breathe. <laughs> Coping with other people. <laughs> I'm gonna struggle to go with. Oh god, I've got. I've got um, Thing is, choices I've, have consequences. Yeah. I've got a new obsession. It's driving me. Go mad, on. What's the new obsession? Tell me about it. I love an obsession. Right. So where we live, there's communal uh-huh. car park oh okay interesting yeah. are you only allowed one car per per household no because it's all shops okay so it's just the way people come in, come in and go from the shops to use the spaces well, obviously is there is a kennel as well for your stray dogs and cats <laughs> no kennel no. donkey stop do you want to share a dog with me we could do like duties well, you can be, as long as you get it for 95 percent. <laughs> this is how i know i'm looking for a dog dad <laughs> Yeah, so basically, I'm just annoyed. I get so annoyed when somebody parks mm. in one of the particular spaces that I park in. Uh, um, how many are there? Two. Spaces. The, yeah, the ones that you like. Two. Why do you like them so much? Because they're right close to me flat. Okay. And they're not in amongst all the stuff. I could see my car from out the window, and I get this, and it, it's wrong. It is wrong for me. Yeah, because they're not yours. They're not my spaces at all. Not. But if I see somebody parking there, I'm like, have you gone as far as sabotage? I, nearly, yeah, the other day. The car was parked across. Apple in the exhaust. And I was, oh, <laughs> was going to put the window wipers right. on the car. <laughs> the guy had parked across the two spaces. Oh, that's annoying. And I just think in my head, okay, right, all you lot down here are popping into that coffee shop. You mothers in your four by fours, right? Parking across two spaces, I'm judging. And when I'm driving back, like when I drive back now after here, I will have this anxiety come over me about whether this space yeah. is going to be there or not. And I know it's crazy. It's no, wrong. it's not. I get it's it. It's not, Ron. It's it. where you live. So it's understandable. Yeah, but there's like, I could just park anywhere. There's about 20 spaces. But the spaces. thing is, we have habits as human beings. If you go to a meeting every week for 52 weeks of a year, chances are you will sit in the same seat for most of that year because we do that that's what our muscle memory lets us do and that's what we get used to doing it's not at all uncommon if you live in a certain place you have a certain place where you're used to seeing your car it's a visual memory a signifier it's where you're used to 
with muscle memory driving into said space, stopping it and the walk mm. up to your flat. It's actually, to have that disrupted is annoying. And also, because it's <coughs> where you live, not mm. somewhere else, mm. it's more invasive. Especially if someone's been downright irresponsible and going across two spaces. But it is OCD, because I understand it, because I've got an issue with my brother and his girlfriend leaving their shoes in the house by the stairs. It drives me mad. And why can't you just leave them if you're going to leave them by the door? Chuck them in the bin. It drives me nuts. I wanted to. I wanted to throw them on the grass. I was going to throw them outside on the grass. Yeah. I'm obsessed with it and I've had to really calm down because I had to speak to my mum about it because I am OCD. So I kept moving their shoes. (laughs) Get Ronnie to to give you some dog turds from your rescue dog. Put it in their shoes. Put it in their shoes. Well, I nearly went on Amazon because I wanted to buy, you know when you get a parking (laughs) ticket, them yellow thing that you stick on the screen? I didn't get that to do oh, with, I was just going to buy them for a nice little note and I'm saying, you know, you've got the smallest car in the world and you took up the biggest space in the world. I'm assuming you've just dropped your children off to school and you're having coffee with your friends down the road, <laughs> in the coffee shop down the road. How come you've got the time do? to do this, you lazy fuck? <laughs> and that's what I'm thinking. How dare you have the time to block so, my parking space and, and quite, to have coffee with your friends? It's quite sexist as well, which I, you know, I'll just admit it. I'll just okay. I think it's a bird. That's part of that car. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? It's terrible. You shouldn't be like that. I'm a really good driver, by the way. <laughs> just saying that. And that's wrong, isn't it? It's a woman. <gasps> Ronnie. The chances are, if you come across, <laughs> see, I've got to be really careful now. Who yes. was it the first time this happened? Did you go into the coffee shop and check who was in there? Was it actually a woman? But if it wasn't that the first time, you're just making blanket sexist assumptions. Yes, Bonnie. <laughs> was it? Be honest. Own it. I don't know. She doesn't know. Actually, when the perpetrators of these disgusting have turned up, <laughs> they have been women. <laughs> Disgusting. And then, so this lady was parked up. She had a fiesta, and she said, she's the messiest person in the world. So I looked inside a car, <laughs> full of rubbish, and I thought, this is going to be a man. And then it was a woman. Because I had to park on this sort of dodgy bit of corner where I've already hit the car into the fence because it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I feel like you need to do a resentment set on this one. <laughs> so I looked at the woman and went, Are you moving? And she went, Yes, yes. I mean, oh, that's all right then, because it just means I get to move my car because I don't want to get a ticket there. So I made it nice afterward. After all, are you moving? <laughs> I don't think the person's gender is relevant to your complaint, Molly. But it's interesting how we compile them because if I'm getting exasperated about something minor, I suddenly start painting a picture of this imaginary oh, person yeah. that I hate. <laughs> that could be based on all sorts of stuff from my unconscious. Because there might be something yeah. that happened 20 years ago where someone did something similar and it happened to be a middle-aged man or it happened to be a young woman and I will project that onto it. Because when I get really, really angry like that about something that's not that consequential, I will invariably end up injecting something without even realising it from something that's happened before. It's actually, the cars are parking across the double lines, the very small cars. Again, that's probably why I'm Thinking ahead, maybe it's a lady because women drive smaller cars. That's so sexist, Ronnie. Ronnie you're off. on shaky ground I drive here. a bigger. I drive a big 
Roger out there. Seen it. I was going to say, Mike asked Can I just clarify Avenger? that Ronnie's views are his own? I we do know. not represent anyone else's <laughs> or any organisation with which we are associated. He walks like a horse, talks like a horse, and quacks like a horse. It's a horse. <laughs> well, listen, we can't top all people with the same brush. Cause been... What if it was a donkey that was driving? <laughs> then I think I'd be taking some magic mushrooms and they're really strong. <laughs> Yeah, but if it was one of your dwarf donkeys, <laughs> they could have an adapted seat or something, couldn't they? No, what them wolf dogs called? What they called? Oh, border collie, sheep dogs, wolves, huskies, husky, pomeranian husky. A pomeranian husky. You've got a really small dog. To the a miniature pomeranian South husky. Pole. They're that big and they look like wolves. Yeah. Oh no, too much interbreeding. Do you want a normal mongrel? Do me. Like a big dog. That's more Ron, like a cat. you're not going to put it in a man bag, it's are you? more like a cat than a dog. He'll give it a coat, and he'll give it a monocle, and I it'll have a pipe. Cool. If you go on a dog hunt, can you please kind of put an order in for a quite bald It's not a toy. It's an animal. It's a living, breathing <laughs> thing. It's not it's a toy. on because, you know... Dogs aren't just for Christmas. What do you think? Oh, about? it's for life. Border Collie or a Spring Spaniel for me, please. You're going to end up it. like Paris Hilton, carrying the dog in your oh, bag. No, not for that reason. I just think it looks cool. So basically, I'd give him like an action figure and he'd look like a, a he-man with his bulk. In other words, you get him a load of costumes. <laughs> you get a Darth Vader costume. <laughs> cute. An Indiana Jones Tea costume. Teacup Pomeranian Husky. Put it in the bag. Teacup? My friend's got a little Pomeranian. It's cute, but it has really bad breath. Thinking. So you're actually going to get your own dog, not take someone else's? I, I wouldn't get one, no. Again, I was pissed when I was looking at these teacup Pomeranian Huskies. Mm. So not really thinking about the consequences? No, I just like the look of it. Maybe need one to get you one for that. I like the style of it. The style it's of like it? What, its own personal style yeah. or the style cool. overall? It'd cool, man. And it would eat anything they got in its way. <laughs> Tiny. <laughs> Getting a dog, I think, or getting a cat is a pretty big deal. It's like in, having a child. It's got to come before certain other things, hasn't it? I mean, getting a plant is one thing, but actually getting an animal is another altogether. Yeah. In terms of responsibility. I'd love one this year. As soon as I've moved out of this place, I'm getting a dog. Full stop. See, I can't, I'd love to have a dog, but my OCD is to the point where I can't have it. Because sometimes but, I have my friend's dog for three days, and it's lovely little dog. Can you just get a cleaner? It's also about the routine, though, isn't it? You have to change. I've got a dog whole... blanket. I've got yeah. a dog pillow. I've got everything that's related for the dogs because I don't want it touching anything <laughs> that isn't for the dog. The smell of the dog, not that. Yeah, dog. but if you get a short-haired dog, they don't molt as much as specific dogs that you can get. Some jumper gorgeous on it. Yeah, they're cute. They bring so much love to your life. As soon as you've got one, you'd be like, oh, I don't care about the flowers. And you just like, just clean more. They used to have rats. What? They just invaded? <laughs> you actually had them as pets? No. Oh, shop. Did you? Yeah, called them peanut and butter. They weren't free range rats. They were there was free controlled range, rats. There was free range. And the kitten that I found, which we called Lucky, I got them, all three of them, and they'd play together. Oh, cute. Mm. I just oh, you've got them to do a sit down and agree to play. I'd sit there drunk at night and I'd have peanut on one shoulder, butter on the other shoulder, and there'd be cat. Oh, that's cute. And the cat wouldn't go for them. Yeah. Oh, that surprises me. Cats would normally kill the rats. I suppose it's a bit like your domestic appliances, isn't it? If you mm. get them to talk to each other, they're prepared to coexist. <laughs> if you didn't have that dialogue between, say, your fridge and your cooker, then they'd start swapping roles just to annoy you or refuse to work together. 
And if you've got a cat or a dog, <coughs> you obviously have to have dialogues. Weird. I don't know what they say to each other, but they must say something. This Ronnie, what's your doorbell done now? No, we're just talking about my cat and my two rats. And the pictures come And up? the pictures on there of my cat and the two rats. They're actually in the cage there, so you can't see oh, them. Oh, yeah. But basically, that was a picture of mine. A little cat called Lucky. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to Just turn it off. <laughs> Turn it off. I rescued him. Cute. <laughs> Hold on, but what happened to Lucky as well? Look. What happened to Lucky? There's a two. And what happened to the rats? Probably wasn't Ooh, very lucky. There's the rats and there's my cats. Oh my God, that's one. hilarious. But what happened to them? Well, I give the rats to the barbers. Because when I come into recovery, I couldn't bring my cat, could I? So I'm going into a treatment centre when I was homeless. So I had to give my cat to my friend that I used to live with in the wet house that I lived in yeah and I said you have to have the cat I had a cat and then I thought oh no it's lonely so then I went to go get another cat but then I couldn't split the other two cats up because they're the brothers and sisters so then it ended up with three cats and then I had to give them all away because I wasn't capable of looking after them because I was such a record that I wouldn't come home and it just wasn't fair on the cats so then I had mm. to give them away yeah I felt really guilty about that for years I was just saying that with my Yorkshire terror I used to be sleeping all day and he used to be going howling at me to go out yeah. and shut yeah. I knew someone once who had four cats and they didn't have individual names. Did they? They were just called the Smiths. The Smiths? The Smiths. <laughs> four cats and they were just called the Smiths. The Smiths. I remember going round to her place and trying to call one of them Morrissey and trying to call one of them Johnny Marr. And she said, no, 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 they're all the Smiths. The Smiths. They're all just the Smiths. I said, well, do you, how do you get them into... They don't come individually. They come as a unit. <laughs> That's hilarious. A unit. <laughs> so they have a collective identity. I was half expecting them to get out little guitars and stuff. But of course, if we're going to be responsible for animals, we have to be responsible for ourselves. Yeah, and I wasn't in that place with those three cats at all. Do you think there was an element of your rats and cat looking after you, Ronnie? Oh, yeah. I wonder yeah. what they said about you behind your back when you were in a coma. You'd <laughs> <laughs> left the cage over the That bitch hasn't come home again. She's out for another three days. Maybe <laughs> keeps overfeeding us. I was always overfeeding. I don't want to eat pizza anymore. It's funny, isn't it, how whatever we talk about, there's always something that makes the dreaded R word. Really responsibility it always comes up and it's unavoidable if you're going to engage with the whole recovery process these days i'm kind of glad of that but there was a time when i wasn't there was a time when it was the last thing i wanted and that ties back in with what you said earlier on about the ticking boxes mm. i'm just going to tick boxes i'm going to go through the motions because i'm not actually going to be responsible here and if i'm not going to be responsible i might as well just tread water for 18 months and then it's just a question of when I get pissed in it. Yeah. And on that wonderful, enlightening and happy thought, we've done it again. If you've heard anything that's resonated with you, whether it be with you, whether it be with someone you love, someone you know, someone you don't know, someone you might know, someone you think you know, someone that thinks they know you, or their tennis partner, or their bowls collaborator, or their curling coordinator, or their neighbour's cat, then do seek help. Yeah. By that, I mean absolutely anyone. Because we can be affected by someone else's alcoholism or drug intake, even if we don't live with them. And so can our pets. And even if we don't know them very well. And yes, so can our pets. Mm -hmm. 
and pets can actually be traumatised by this stuff. Ronnie's cat and rat, we don't know whether they ever got over it. We hope they did. But on a serious note, there is plenty of help out there, and it's not all stuff that you have to pay for. Google it and try it, because it's only by trying it and engaging that you get anywhere at all. So we'll love you, Lydia, and we'll be back next week. Good night from me. Good night, Vienna. Good night, Vienna. Oh.